thank you for taking the time to listen to Sunday sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church. Before we begin, here's a special message from Papa Herman, an elder at Southside. May the Lord bless and keep you. He would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we are to be effective in our prayer life, we must be passionate in our worship life. See, we look at the things we do when we pray and we cry out, oh God, oh God, or we, we're interceding and those type things, but God's saying, I want to see you worship hard. I don't want to just see you when you're in prayer. I want to see you what you're doing in your daily activity. I want to know that you're worshiping me all the time. I want you to understand who I am when you pray. When we begin to cry out to God in prayer, how can we know our prayers are being heard or even answered? It can be difficult, especially if we don't know how to pray or if we don't know the purpose of prayer. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason discusses the true purpose of prayer and how we can have an effective prayer life. This morning I want to talk to you about effective prayer. How many of you want to have effective prayer, effective prayer life? You, you want God to hear you and you want Him to understand what, you are, what, 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 your, what your heart is and you want to understand what His heart is. At the beginning of the year... I normally call a fast for 21 days, or the Holy Spirit calls a fast for 21 days. This year I began seeking Him probably October, November 2019, and I didn't hear anything, and I kept praying and praying and praying. And finally I made the decision that if God wasn't going to tell me what to fast about, then we weren't going to fast just for the sake of fasting. Now many, many people did, and thank you so much for your sacrifice and for doing that, but we just didn't call the church as a whole to a fast. At the beginning of the year, the Lord said, I will tell you when to fast and when to pray. And so he began, he began ministering to me a couple of months ago about calling a fast, uh, an Isaiah fast. Now, most people haven't heard of an Isaiah fast, and so I'm going to teach and train on it for the next couple of weeks. But he said to call an Isaiah fast, and he encouraged me to do it starting on Palm Sunday. I'm going to talk about that again a little more, but Palm Sunday uh, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're asking you not to... to eat, abstain from food, and to pray. And I'm going to be more specific about the prayer and how that's going to function as we go along. We'll end that fast on April the 11th, and if the governor and the president allow, we will have a covenant meal here together. If not, we may just share communion online. But we're going to, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is a time to prepare your hearts for, for the celebration of resurrection. It's probably the greatest time in a Christian's life is the, is the resurrection celebration. And so I'm just going to encourage you to, 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 do, to take hold of this fast and let the Holy Spirit work in you and come closer to, to the Lord. Effective prayer comes as we draw closer to the Lord. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore 
fruit. King James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It works great things. But there are some things that are involved in that that have to do with righteousness. It didn't have to do with the fact that Elijah was some special superhero. You know, he didn't have superpowers and all these other things. He was a man just like we are men. As a matter of fact, he was such a man that he was born in sin. Just like we're born in sin. He was subject to passions just like we are. He experienced fear. He got tired. He got hungry. He got confused. When you think about Elijah, those are not the things you think about. You think about calling fire down from heaven. You think about raising the dead. You think about all these miraculous things that he did. But we do have to realize that he was a man in the flesh, and he walked as a man. He was a man. The reason that that James wanted us to know that was so that we would understand that we have that same privilege and have that same power and have that same effectiveness if we have the same heart that Elijah had. Let me say it one more time. We have that same power if we have the same heart. He was a mortal man subject to death just like we are. If we are to be effective in our prayer life, we must be passionate in our worship life. The earnestness of our prayer is measured by the desire to love and worship our Heavenly Father. Boy, when the Holy Spirit laid that on me this morning, I went, wow. See, we look at the things we do when we pray and we cry out, oh God, oh God, or we're interceding and those type things, but God's saying, I want to see your worship heart. I don't want to just see you when you're in prayer. I want to see you what you're doing in your daily activity. I want to know that you're worshiping me all the time. I want you to understand who I am when you pray. And the problem is that we cry out for help, and the rest of the time we put him in the closet and say, Holy Spirit, I don't need you right this minute. I can do this. I can handle this. Ever been guilty of saying, I can handle this. I can fix it. To, to the point that we get so frustrated when we can't fix things, we don't know what to do. So then we cry out again, God, God, God. It's not because, it's not, at that point, it's not because we want to know God more. It's because we got to have God. We need Him more than we've ever needed Him before. But God has a desire to be known. He has a desire to be in relationship with us, with fellowship with us. He wants us passionate about Him. He wants us hungry for Him. He wants us on fire for Him. And we wonder why our prayers sometimes don't get answered. You've heard quoted many times 2 Chronicles 7.14. Most of the time I hear it, it's misquoted. And it, it always just attacks my heart. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You understand the healing of the land is conditional. Look what he said. First off, he said, humble yourself before the Lord. When we go to prayer, this is the first thing we ought to say in prayer. I can't do this on my own. It's impossible. God, if you don't do it, it can't be done. That's humbling yourself is to realize you can't fix everything. Too many times we use that as a last resort rather than the first resort. Rather than realizing that in our own strength and our own power, we can't do anything. In Christ, all things are possible. But we try and we strive and we pull our hair out and we, we just we can't fix things. We can't th- fix things with our children. We can't fix things at work. We can't fix things that, that are going on around us. This uh, coronavirus 
that's going on around us. Well, you can't fix it. The humility says, God, I'm not in the fixing business. I'm in the humbling business. I'm in the praying business. I look to you as the only power, the only source, the only strength that I can turn to. And so he says, humble yourself. And then he says, pray. Pray within itself has a sense of humility because it's calling on one that's greater than you are. Understanding that he's greater than you are. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. And when we call on him, we have to understand that. Too often, we confine God to our limited view and our limited sight. And we bring him into our world. Now, he does operate in our world. He operates within us. The Holy Spirit never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But we have to understand, too, that not only is he here, but he is outside. My favorite, my absolute favorite description came from a man that said, looking for God within the universe is like looking for Steve Jobs inside an iPhone. He is the creator of the iPhone. He's not inside the iPhone. God is the creator of the universe. The only way, listen to this, the only way, say that with me, the only way that God is in the universe is in you and me. You see, that's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is the abiding place of the Holy Spirit. When we cry out, heaven touch earth, that's what we're saying. Lord, allow my feet to walk as as you. And God, you're walking in me. We're not gods, but we are the temple of the Most High God. And so he walks with us wherever we go. So we pray. Then he says, seek his face. You remember when you first time you fell in love? Woo! All you want to do is look in that person's face and talk to them and kiss on them and sugar on them and and, and you just couldn't stand it. You wanted to hold their hands. And uh, I I remember the story uh, of Herman and Tammy when when they first started, uh, I guess, dating or pre-dating, I don't know what you'd call it, but Tammy told Herman, said, if you kiss me, this is over. You can't stay. And so the the worm kind of turned and Tammy wanted to kiss Herman. And Herman said, no, I'm not kissing you. And they had a fight because she wanted to kiss him and he wouldn't kiss her because he's afraid if he kissed her, it would be over and he would never get to see her again. The, more, the end of that story, she showed up at my house about 2 o'clock in the morning, knocking on the door, looking for Herman, and she wound up kissing him. I promise you. Right, now that is seeking the face of God. And I love that from, from Tammy's perspective, you know, because she wasn't going to give up. Knocked on that door. And I'm thinking, who in the world is at my house this early in the morning? And when I opened the door, this was my greeting. I need to see your son. Well, hello to you too. Come on, we, that's seeking the face of God. God, I got to see you. God, I want to know you. God, I got to be personal with you. This religious stuff just will not cut it. We've got, to, we've got to understand this is a personal relationship that we've been called into. And if we want our land healed, then we're going to enter into this personal relationship with Him and get His heart on what's going on. The truth of the matter is most of us, including me, don't know what this uh, coronavirus is all about. We have no idea from God's perspective what it's all about. I know what I'm using it for. I'm using it for an opportunity to, to minister and to pray and to seek people. But most of us are praying, God, just get rid of it. God, just get rid of it. God, just get rid of it. 
Remember, Peter came to Jesus and Jesus told him that he was going to die. And, he told, and Peter said, no. He said, I'll die first. And what did Jesus say? Yet behind me, Satan. The Father's will was for Jesus to be crucified. Are, are you saying the coronavirus is God's will? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to get God's perspective on what's going on. It didn't catch him by surprise. He's not afraid of it. It's not that he can't stop it. And so we need to say, okay, God, what are we supposed to be doing? And, and it's not up to the pastor to say, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You see, there's nothing between you and God. The Holy Spirit abides in you. You need to answer that question for you. Now, the pastors can help guide you and can pray with you. But ultimately, it's up to you to hear the Holy Spirit to do what God has told you to do in the midst of the chaos that's going on around us. Then he says the other thing is to turn from their wicked ways. So he says, humble yourself, pray, seek His face, and turn from your wicked ways. Most of the time when I hear this scripture quoted, I don't hear people say that. They just want to be able to humble themselves, pray, seek His face, and the land be healed. That's not what that scripture said. He said to turn from their wickedness. So what wickedness was Israel involved in? It's not what you may think. When we think wicked, we think perversion. When God thinks wicked, He thinks religion. They had gotten into religion and out of relationship. They acted as if they were righteous, but they had no real heart for God. The wickedness was that their worship wasn't real. It was performance-based. Are you getting anything out of this? Do you understand what I'm saying? Part of the Isaiah fast is to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and see if there's wickedness, if there is religion taken over where the Holy Spirit wants to operate. This was the wickedness of Israel. And when we read Isaiah 58, Isaiah prophesies to Israel what that wickedness was all about. And what it had to do with was dealing with other people, always dealing with other people. As I said, I believe that we're supposed to go on this fast. We have a promise of the healing of our land, but it is conditional. Let me tell you where. 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Listen to what He says. We know that we have the request. If we know it's in accordance with His will. If you were to go back and look at the Peter scenario, you and I would all say Peter was right. Jesus, you don't need to die. You can do too much good on the earth. I'd have probably been right there with him saying, Peter, no, I mean, Jesus, no, you can't die. You're the leader. And so it wasn't according to God's will. That was an, un uh, an unheard request that was made by Peter. Where do we fall in line with that? Are we asking God, what is your heart? Are we praying in accordance with His will? 
this is where humility has to come in because most of us that have been involved in the church for any length of time say, I already know His will. I read His word. I know His will. And that's what the Pharisees said too. We've studied the books. We know. And Jesus, you're not it. They missed Jesus because they were so profoundly sold out to their own thoughts and beliefs, they refused to hear what the Holy Spirit was saying through the Messiah himself. You know, one of the great things about serving the Lord for years and years and years is that you have, the, you have that compassionate hand that's always upon you, the peace that comes with him. One of the bad things about being exposed to so much religion is you get these religious understandings and values and we begin to believe that we know the will of God rather than asking the will of God. It will line up with Scripture. There's no two ways about it. It will line up with Scripture. Almost always. Eddie, what do you mean almost always? Well, there was a prophet that was asked to marry a prostitute. That did not line up with Jewish law whatsoever. But God knew what he was doing. And the prophet knew he'd heard the voice of the Lord. And he did what God told him to do. And it wasn't a fun, fun task, but he did it anyway. Listen to hear what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. The, the prayer of healing for our land, it's a promise with a condition. It's our condition. What is our condition? Not only is God asking us to abstain from food during this Isaiah fast, but God gave Isaiah very specific instructions on how to pray and the actions to be taken that are pleasing to Him. The first part of the fast, as I have said, deals with self-examination, and the second part deals with dealing with people. So I'm going to read the scripture, and you can kind of pick out what those two parts are and see where we stand in this. Isaiah 58, 1 says, cry aloud, do not hold back. That's what God's telling to Isaiah. He said, shout it from the rooftops. He said, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of our fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all our workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist, fasting like ours. This day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Boy, that's a confusing statement, isn't it? Let me go back and just read part of it. They seek me daily. They delight to know my name. They, they ask for justice and judgments. They delight to draw near to me. Boy, sounded like a good Christian to me. I, I, if, I, if I were to put criteria down for what it means to be a good Christian, that would be the criteria that I would put down. But God's saying, saying you're, you're deceiving yourselves because there's no reality. And he said, let me show with you, show you where. 
It said, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. It sounds like they're passionate about God, but the truth is they only have a form of godliness. They're faithful in performing, hear that word, performing religious duties. That's that's where they're guilty of. And when they do it right, aren't I a great guy? Aren't I super? One crown for Eddie. Pat myself on the back. Talk about all my good stuff. And so I'm taking my delight in my good works. Anybody ever done that besides me? Look what, look what uh, Timothy says, 2 Timothy 3.1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, un, uh, uh, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. (laughs) Having the appearance of godliness. I go, what? Having the appearance of godliness? Timothy is describing the heart condition, not the outward show of piety. See, we can have an outward show of piety without an inward change coming out. We can be two different people. When I was a kid, I used to do that all the time. You know, I love the cover of darkness. I love the cover of anonymity so that nobody knew who I was or what I was doing. And so in the darkness, I could hide out. And then I'd go back to my parents and act like I was the greatest kid that ever lived. And get around an adult, and boy, it was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Do whatever you want me to do. Man, just please, 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 please. And then let me get off on my own and, whoo, Eddie going to be Eddie now. And so I live these two lives. People do the same thing. They live two lives. They live one that they show to everybody else and one that they live to themselves. Most of the time they live it at home and their family knows about that second self. And in that second self, he says they are lovers of self. They put themselves before anything and everything else. The second thing he said is they love money. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're abusive. They're disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless. They can't be appeased. They're slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. They don't love good. Treacherous. Reckless swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In our time, we could put that lovers of comfort more than lovers of God. We we also seek a lot of pleasure, but God, you can do anything, just don't make me uncomfortable. I can't be uncomfortable. Am I making any sense to you? I just want want you to grab hold of what, what the Old Testament is saying and then what Timothy is saying. And then in, and in 2 Timothy 3, 7, this one just kind of blew me away. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Let me translate knowledge of truth. That's the true knowledge of Jesus. 
It's so sad that we have so many people that have accepted Jesus for fire insurance and never have relationship with Him. The scariest words in Scripture is they come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, we've done all these things. Man, we have, we have performed higher than the requirement of the church. And Jesus looks at him and says, I, I don't know you. You've never been in a relationship with me. You were in a relationship with a religion, not with me. Wow. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. He says, they ask of me righteous judgments as if they were living righteous lives and submitted to the covenant. Now I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit shared with me about this. We, gotta, we have to understand that lack of submission to the Holy Spirit is the fruit of a wandering heart. Lovers submit to one another. When the Holy Spirit speaks, we, we submit. What happens is we begin to chase other lovers. We begin to chase the things of the world. We begin to chase the pleasure. We begin to chase so many different things. We're chasing. In other words, the first commandment is not in first place. We don't love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind. Well, Eddie, you sound like you're condemning us. No, I'm just setting the stage for prayer, okay? I'm not condemning you. I want you to understand what was going on in Israel. I want you to understand what's going on in the church. I can't, I'm not pointing a finger at any person. The Lord's asked me to submit myself to this. I'm going to submit myself to this. I'm going to submit the church to it. And I'm going to ask you to pray about these things. And I'm going to ask you to seek the Lord for these things. Are we putting the first commandment in first place? Then he goes on and said, they delight to draw near to God. Now what they consider drawing near to God is their performance. I've, man, I've done my duty. I've gone out there and, and I've fed the hungry and, and I've clothed the naked and I've done the, I've done the stuff that I'm supposed to do. He said, yeah, but you've ignored me. you fill filled their bellies, but you've not filled their souls with my presence. You've encouraged them, but you haven't challenged them. And the reason you haven't challenged them is because you don't know me. How can you challenge them to know you, know me when you don't know me? That's what God's saying. They do all these works, but they don't fellowship with God. When we begin to, to see the picture of Mary as she and Martha are taking care of Jesus and Martha's in the kitchen cooking and Mary's at the feet of Jesus and all of the men get upset and Jesus says, Mary has chosen the best part. That is a picture of the church. If Martha wasn't cooking, nobody was going to be eating but when the cooking becomes more important than being in His presence, something is out of order. So He says the best part is at the feet of Jesus and the next part 
is the works of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Just want you to grab hold of this. So then the, the Israelites are crying out, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Why? Well, I think you may have just a little bit of an understanding right now, but I'm going to save that for next week. And I'm going to finish it, and then I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do on this fast. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. Lord, I thank you that you're not condemning us, but you're encouraging us to draw closer to you. Lord, so we ask you right now to remove everything that hinders love. Lord, we want to take our joy and our delight in you. We want to know you like we've never known you before. We want to walk with you. Lord, you said in, in the Song of Solomon to skip over the hills and run through the valleys. Jesus, we want to do it with you. Give us eyes that are, that are lovers' eyes, that look into your face, that draw near to you, that want you more than life itself. Lord, in all these things, we say we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.